It's good to see all of you on this Father's Day. Hey kids, are you grateful for your dads? Can you say it a little louder? How grateful for you are? How grateful are you for your dads? Really grateful? Yes? All right. All right. Serve them. Make sure you get them drinks out of the fridge today, all day long. You ask them what they need. Just take really good care of them, all right? Can't touch the beer. On Father's Day, you can grab your dad a beer. Pastor said it. (laughs) Oh, this is good stuff right there. We know the family rules. (laughs) Oh, man. So uh, this morning, we are concluding uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. So... Uh, If you have your Bible, I hope you do, or if you have an app on your phone, uh, pull up Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 10 through 23, concluding uh, this letter. Uh, what, What has been resounding in Philippians is this theme of joy and this theme of rejoicing. If you've been around the church for any period of time, uh, you likely know that you likely know that it's known as a letter of joy. Um, Paul is actually commanding the church in Philippi, who are hard-pressed on the margins, to rejoice. And he is writing them from prison, in chains. He's writing them and talking and telling at least five times explicitly and several other times implicitly. He's speaking of his own joy in the Lord for them and for the work that God is doing in the kingdom. And so that's how uh, he begins to land his letter to this this 10-year-old church in the Roman province of Philippi. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And then he tells them, why again? Because... Now at length you have received your concern for me. You were, Philippians, indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him or through, through Christ who strengthens me. And then Paul goes on. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble or share fellowship with me in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, the Philippian church is in Macedonia. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, supporting his work, except you only. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, which is a town just next door. You sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. That was a person that they sent to him with a gift. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says this in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And to our Father, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he tells them, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit is the conclusion of this letter. Father, would you speak to us through the reading of your word? Would you help us as your people to cultivate joy in every circumstance of life, to be aware of the necessity of joy, to be aware of how joy is a great attractor. When we live with joy, uh, it multiplies among the people that we are around. And there is great comfort of heart, even in grief, as we recognize that we have much, much cause to be grateful to you and to have joy because of the work that you have done for us. And that, therefore, colors the whole remainder of our life, all of it. Help us to see, help us to worship this morning with our minds and with our bodies, with our eating and feasting, that it would all be acts of worship to you and that we would be a people known for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in Philippians 4.10, Paul says, he opens up with these first six words, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. This, like I said, is the fifth and final time that Paul mentions his own joy. And it's, that do, it's the dominant uh, emotion that is expressed in his letter to this church who he loves. So consider this as we worship together this morning. Joy is a command to you and I from God, not a recommendation. The God who created everything commands his people to possess joy, but to also live from joy, to show it to the people around us. Oftentimes we think of the commands of God around the moral commands of don't take things that aren't yours. Don't give false witness against a neighbor. Don't murder, right? Don't lie. We must forgive. We must love God with our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. But often, I don't at least, think about joy in the category of command. Joy is a command from God, not a recommendation. And so, could it be any easier for us this morning as we are gathered here together? We're gathered here united with one another to seek God, to worship Him, to feast, to eat, drink, and be glad that our hearts are gladdened around the ways that God has provided for us through His Word, through the life of His Son, His Spirit, through giving us food, and through giving us relationship and friendship and family with one another as well. Like, we've got low-hanging fruit this morning. It is easy for us to exercise joy as we gather on Father's Day. Uh, There are two definitions that I want to just lay before you uh, around Christian joy, distinctly Christian joy. Um, One is probably better than the other. One is from John Piper and the other one is from me. Piper says Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. So it's a work of God in us as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in his word and also in the world around us. Here is how uh, I've been just trying to develop uh, my own uh, definition of Christian joy from what I see in the scriptures and how I've experienced it. Christian joy is the glad, resilient, it gets back up again, enduring. It's the glad, resilient hope that Jesus has dealt with my past. He is willing to grant everything he asks of me in my present 
and he will guide me faithfully every day until I see him face to face. It's the understanding that he is with me in all of my past, all of my present, and all of my future. And our future, your future. That's not just for me. Joy is a command from God. It's not a recommendation. And so as a church, all of life, what what would it look like for us? I want you to consider this, to elevate our conviction around Christian joy, the expression of it, the possession of it, that this is a command of God, not just a recommendation. Augustine, an early church father from Northern Africa in the fourth century, he wrote, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. Command what you will me to do, how you will me to live, what you will me to think, to live the entirety of my life out of, and then grant me to be able to live that out. He knew that God was commanding this emotion of joy in him, and he knew that he could not make that happen on his own. So he prayed, Father, if you're going to command that I have these things, then I know that you are good, and out of your goodness, you will grant me to have them. So if God calls on you and I to have and to express joy, he will certainly equip you and I, to have and to express joy. In the final 14 chapters, or 14 verses rather, of this letter, I just want to draw out to you four qualities of Christian joy that just spring right up out of this final 14 verses in Philippians here. Now, as we read through it and as I talk, let this kind of be the background music, the background track to everything that Paul is saying and what I am saying. Everything that Paul says in verses 10 through 23 are encircled, enlivened, and informed by joy. So joy is the undercurrent for everything that he is about to write and to say to them. So number one, I'll just give you the, my, my four points just so you have an idea of, of where we're going. Christian joy, it leads us to concern for the well-being of our siblings in Christ. Christian joy leads us to be concerned for the well-being of our siblings in Christ. Christian joy is resilient as it hopes in Christ in all circumstances. And Christian joy, it boosts our gratitude and our generosity. And then finally, Christian joy seeks to express praise to God. So number one, Christian joy leads to concern for the well-being of siblings in Christ. Paul writes to these Philippians because this this young kind of fledgling church in Philippi, because he loves them, he misses them, and he longs to be with them. He, in verse 1 of chapter 4, referred to them as his joy and his crown. This means that he takes incredible delight and pleasure in them. And what he's doing as he writes them is he's trying to instruct them and he's trying to direct them. He's trying to urge them to hold fast to Jesus Christ as resilient Disciples who, though we get knocked down again, or though they would get knocked down time and time again in their lives, that they would spring back up, hope fast in Christ, and that they therefore would shine as lights in the midst of a crooked world. And then in verse 10, Paul celebrates their concern for him. Uh, The reason that he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, is because of their concern for him. He's feeling the love. Dads, uh, our families often tell us that they love us, but on Father's Day, they have particular opportunity to show it to us, right? And we have 
particular opportunity, even if we don't like, you know, being kind of the focus of a day or, or, or people's gratitude or acts of service, um, we have the opportunity to receive it as well. And so our families are probably, your family, if you're a father, is probably very intentional today about showing you love. So Paul is saying, I know you guys were concerned for me, but you didn't have an opportunity to show off your concern. And so what Paul could be implying here is that he's been feeling a bit forgotten uh, by the Philippians. We don't, we don't know that is uh, that speculation there, but what essentially uh, it's, it's bringing him a sense of newfound joy to realize that they are expressing concern for his good. And so he reminds himself of the possibility that while he may have felt forgotten, he wasn't actually forgotten. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. You can see him kind of reminding himself mid-sentence here, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. It's very tempting for us to come to conclusions and to assign motives to those around us without actually having the facts. Remember, especially in view of our current cultural moment, that we can know some things, but we are not God and we do not know all of the things. And so, as God's people, let's be very conscious and intentional to not go further in our assessments of other people and their motivations than our humanity provides for. I think that's an indirect application out of this text. In verses 14 through 16, if you skip ahead, he talks about how it was kind of the Philippians to share in his trouble, to share fellowship with him in his suffering. And he says, and you Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when the gospel first came to you, when I left Macedonia, when I left uh, your province and your area, there nobody entered into partnership with me except you in giving and receiving, supporting his ministry. Then he said, even in Thessalonica, the town next door, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul's alluding to this fact that these Philippians, they were essentially inquiring of him. They were following his disciple-making ministry in the town next door. And so this would include uh, remembering him. This would include praying for the Apostle Paul. But it would also include just keeping up with news of how he was doing. They were concerned for him. Christian joy leads us to the concern for our siblings in Christ. And additionally, when Paul says he was traveling through Macedonia on his second missionary journey, they were the only church financially supporting his ministry. We know one one indication, this is not the only indication, and this is not always the case, but we know when we're willing to spend big on someone, we know that, that we love someone. When we are not chintzy with our, uh, with our resources and directing it at another person. Again, that's not the only way that we show love, but it's a significant way that we show love for the people around us when we're willing to, to spend big on them. When Paul left Philippi, he went next door to this town of Thessalonica, and Paul was only there for like two weeks or so. And he encountered incredible uh, persecution there. He was actually run out of town under threat of his life. But what happened was the Philippians, while he was there in that two-week window, having just left Philippi, they sought, they gave him uh, resources to continue uh, providing for his needs as he worked to make disciples. But they also chased him back down in that two-week window. They sought him out. 
and they provided for him. They found him and they provided for his needs again. He says in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, interestingly here, Paul, he says he didn't seek the gift. He wasn't like sending some messenger their way, you know, to tell them to give report that he was in bad shape, undergoing some form of persecution. He said he didn't seek it out. He recognized actually, though, that the Philippians sought him out. And he recognized that as the Philippians gave this gift, the Lord is incredibly pleased with their generosity. So Christian joy leads us to the concern for, our, uh, for the well-being of our siblings in Christ. And Christian joy is also resilient as it hopes in Christ in all circumstances. One of the differences between joy and happiness is we use the words, oftentimes we'll use them interchangeably, but the two words are not in a biblical definition interchangeable. Happiness oftentimes depends upon our circumstances where joy is, a, is an emotion of gratitude and hope that abides in the midst of all of our circumstances. It's possible to have joy even in the midst of incredible grief as well as it's possible to have joy in the midst of incredible victory in life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. This verse, you've probably heard it or you've seen it in a tattoo or you've seen it on a picture, you know, framed in somebody's house. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's one of the most um, misquoted and misunderstood verses in all of the New Testament. So those who oftentimes, not all of the time, uh, tattoo it on the skin have misunderstood it in their context. So if you're going to get that tattoo, make sure you know the context of the Bible verse that you are about to put in your skin permanently. Let's look at the context. 4.13 comes on the heels of verses 11 and 12. Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's Christian joy has taught him resilience. It's taught him to hope in every circumstance. Notice twice in this in, in 11, once in 11 and once in 12, Paul mentions that he has learned this secret of contentment, which signals, if he's saying that he's learned it, that signals process. He hasn't just arrived at the understanding of being brought low or being high to be content in all of those circumstances. He hasn't just learned that in an instant, but he's learned that actually through process. It's taken time for him to develop this conviction by the time that he actually writes it. And so he has learned that there is significant opportunity to live satisfied satisfied in Christ, to live content in every circumstance. He's been poor. He's been without Christ, but but climbing the ranks of, uh, of the Jewish order as a Pharisee. He has gone without material comfort. He has been hungry and destitute. He's despaired. He writes to, to the Corinthians that he is, and, and the band of disciples who were traveling with him at that time, they despaired even of life itself. They thought they were going to be killed for the proclamation of the gospel in the known world. He's been homeless, sleeping outside without proper gear, without blankets or enough clothing on cold nights. He's suffered beatings 
oppressions by Romans, oppression by the Jews. He's been publicly mocked and ridiculed. He's been robbed. And he has certainly lost close friends as he has defected from the Pharisees and become a follower of the risen Jesus. But he also has experienced incredible abundance as well as this new family of God that he has discovered. They've surrounded him. Once fearing him, they've now surrounded him with friendship and with physical comforts, and they have provided for him from their resources. In verse 12, he gives this context for verse 13. I have learned the secret of rejoicing in high and low circumstances, which is to say that his resilience, it has a source. It has a foundation. He can thrive in whatever comes his way through keeping his hope and keeping his attention rooted on the reality that Jesus Christ is alive, that Jesus Christ is using him, that Jesus Christ loves him and has set his affection on him, and that Jesus Christ is watching over him as well. And so Christian joy from Paul's pen, he understands that it is resilient Because Christian joy is rooted in hope in Christ in every circumstance. A twisted or a a, a misunderstanding of Philippians 4.13 has you at the center of that verse rather than God. What often will happen is we'll kind of derive the plans that we have and then we'll we'll douse them in a little bit of prayer. We'll sprinkle some prayer on there. We'll ask God to bless these plans and then we will cruise out to, to, uh, to, 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 to get or to receive or to accomplish what it is that we want to accomplish. We focus, we, we set our focus on something that we are after. But the context of the verse teaches that whenever Jesus Christ leads, directs, commands, or asks something of you and I, it's in those moments that he will strengthen you and equip you to fully accomplish it. Now, we have plans in our own hearts, but I think Paul wants to direct us, and I think the Word of God consistently directs us to developing our plans in view of God's, of Jesus's lordship, submitting our plans. Is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want me to say? Is this how you want me to spend? Is this where you want us to go to bathe those choices in, in the presence of God, to ask him to instruct and inform and stop or redirect or send us? Remember Augustine's words, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. So Christian joy leads us to concern for the well-being of our siblings in Christ. Christian joy is resilient as it hopes in Christ in all circumstances. Third, Christian joy, it boosts our gratitude and our generosity. In acts of generosity, it's easier for you and I to think horizontally than it is for us to think or to kind of abide in this understanding that our generosity comes as an act of worship vertically. It's easier for us to just look at the objects of our generosity and just celebrate what's happening on a horizontal human level, relational level, and, and kind of forget sometimes that this, that, that this is an act of, of worship. And so... As we provide something nice for someone or give some sort of material resource, um, we that often comes from a place where it's it's born of a desire to honor God. And while my motive often will come from that place, uh, I'll spend the majority of my time or my thoughts actually thinking about how it benefits 
the person who is the object of my good works or generosity. And I'll kind of just live, I'll dwell, spend far more time kind of on on the human plane than I will uh, understanding and remembering that this began and continues as an act of worship. That's what I mean by the fact that it's easier for us to think horizontally around generosity than it is our, our acts of generosity to other people are acts of worship. Paul is careful here to clarify why it's so significant. He celebrates the Philippians' generosity not because of what he receives, but because of what they receive but in the act of giving to him. He understands that God is pleased and will increase their fruitfulness for the overall kingdom which he says will profit them, essentially will accrue to their account. It's like Paul is saying here in a moment, thanks, you think you've given gifts to me, but you have generously first given to God. And what it does is it elicits worship as we remember that our acts of generosity to the people around us are acts of worship. It may have been tempting uh, for these Philippians. It may have been easy for them to think singularly of their generosity toward Paul as love for Paul. But in Paul's response to their generosity, he says, thanks. And then he says, he's actually not after their gifts for his benefit, but he's after their gifts to him for their benefit. He knows that their generosity to him ultimately benefits them because it's an act of costly, obedient worship to God who calls us to care for one another and to look to the interests of others. He's saying the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit here, see your generosity and are pleased. And then what he does is he draws an allusion to Israel's worship. He says, I have received full payment in verse 18 and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And he says this, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Their gift to him, it's a fragrant offering with a pleasing aroma to God. He means to remind them of Israel's worship in the temple, the sacrificial system. As sacrifices are given and the smell of these animals on altars essentially uh, creates the, the aroma of smoking meat. And it's a pleasing aroma in the sight of God in the Old Testament. Now, because of Christ, these animal sacrifices, they've been done away with. But the principle here of costly devotion to God remains visible through their generosity. And that's what he wants them to see. That their worship to God for providing has not changed. And this Christ-centered joy born from a Christ-centered love, it gives glory to God. Which brings me to my fourth and final point. Christian joy seeks to express praise to God. In verse 19, he says, as he concludes this letter, and my God will supply every need of yours. He will take care of you. You're giving to me. So you actually have less resource at your disposal. You're giving to me. And he, as he's pleased with you for that, will continue to see to your satisfaction and he will meet every need of yours in Jesus Christ. And he says this verse of doxology, worship, giving glory to God. He says this, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. And then he gives this final greeting and just asks them to greet disciples who have come into their fold who may not have met him face to face. Greet all of them. They are saints. Greet them in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You can see this familial closeness here. And then he sends them off with this final sentence. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He opened his letter and he said, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says, the grace of God is with you as he concludes this letter. He wants the Philippians to understand that no matter what they face, that God will supply their every need. And in that, there is reason and cause for incredible uh, sturdiness of character and deep abiding joy. As we look to him to meet the needs of our souls through forgiveness of sin and the help of overcoming the things that we find ourselves entangled in as we look in hope to the future when God will eradicate the presence of sin entirely. He satisfies us in our souls, but he also provides for our needs bodily as well. He takes care of his people. And as he provides for us and as we see it, we experience this joy and affection from him in us, then we as we experience the pleasure of God upon us, direct our affection to Him in grateful, joy-filled response. Grateful, joy-filled worship. The joy of Jesus Christ is alive in His people and is working to this end. These are the words of Jesus Himself. That our joy may be full. And that it may have a specific location, that our joy may be located and rooted in Jesus Christ. And it's from that sentiment, from that doctrine, from that understanding that Paul can write to them in prison with chains that he rejoices in the Lord greatly at their benefit and for how well they are doing. Christian joy is rooted in the glad, resilient hope that Jesus Christ has dealt with our past. He is willing to grant everything he asks of us in our present, and he will guide us faithfully every day until we see him face to face. This is Paul's letter to the Philippian church, instructing and commanding his people to live with joy, to let it take root in us, to continue to come back and to focus on the development of joy in our own circumstances and also to depend on him because this joy is a fruit of his spirit who lives within us. So it's not enough for us to just white knuckle it. Have joy, have joy, have joy, have joy. Who who does that and actually produces joy? But But to with open hands rather depend on him to put his joy inside of us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and to let that joy then begin to leak out of us in every circumstance of life until we meet him face to face when our joy will be complete. Father, we come to you and we, we ask you, I ask you for myself, this I wouldn't say is a leading edge of my personality as I see myself, joy. And I desire more I desire to grow in my joy and that my joy would be rooted in you and would consistently work to uh, see to the good of the people around me, but also to live with an awareness and to abide in your 
presence and to be continually just worshiping you and my thoughts and my thinking and my gratitude, the way that I live my life moment by moment. And I ask the very same thing for every person here who desires this, who looks to you also for joy, for every person whose faith is directed at you and who considers themselves a disciple of yours. Would you increase our joy as your people? And today, as we celebrate our dads and as we feast, would we feast and would we enjoy and would we let just the sounds of how much we're enjoying this meal that you have provided for us, would it express worship? Would it be a conscious act of worship for all of us, young and old? In Jesus' name, we worship you. Amen.